What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam Kalal, and we are Atlanta's own. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Minus these allergies I got going on right now, Graham. Mm. It's going pretty well. Uh, Thursday night, draft night. Uh, we, we had to move some scheduling around this week just to make sure that we could bring everyone the latest analysis on the Falcons draft. Of course. 100% planned. That's how we do it. Um, so we got a little different show this week, don't we, Graham? Yeah, we're recording the night of the draft, so hopefully we can get this out tomorrow uh, after the draft pick is made. Uh, we're doing a, a, a newfangled thing. We're recording our Brave stuff before the draft and Falcon stuff after the draft. So we'll be well and liquored up and uh, <laughs> have a uh, very thought-provoking and rational response to whoever Thomas Dimitrov selects their first pick in the 2019 NFL draft. Do we have any um, any predictions for what's going to happen tonight, Graham? I definitely think we're going to trade up to get a wide receiver or a running back. I don't really think that's going to happen. That's, I don't either. In all, in all seriousness, I would be shocked if we pick at 14 tonight. With how many people we keep signing, um, I would be shocked. I mean, the loser depth pieces? Loser depth pieces. Like, we brought back your boy Rasheed Hageman. Uh, I know you're very excited about that. Yeah, that's my boy. Yeah. Him and Adam Duvall go out to eat every now and then. Who do you think's worse? In their respective sports? Yes. Uh, Hageman. Duvall's at least had some success in the majors. I would disagree. Well, I don't know. He's hit 30 home runs twice. Yeah, but Hageman What's was, Hageman done? He was, uh, he was decent his last year with us. It is crazy he played in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm just saying. Was he, he, was he was decent. He was decent. So you're excited about the signing? Then? No, I'm not excited at all about the signing. He hasn't played in the NFL in two years. After we released him, he... Got on to, uh, he was, he, I think he went on the Patriots and a couple other teams. We never actually played another down. So I'm not really excited for this. I don't expect him to make the roster. I expect him to compete for a, a spot on the, on the roster in training camp, but he's going to get cut. Nothing. There's no freaking way. It's another classic example of Dimitrov trying to feed his ego and say, oh, yeah, I drafted this guy, so we got to, you know, got to do right by him. And the only reason we're doing right by him is to make me look a little better than I actually am. That's it. That's that's one way to look at it. He was drafted during the Smitty era, for Christ's sake. Hageman. So, I mean, Jesus God. So you think he's better than Adam Duvall? I think I, I, I'd say all-time Adam Duvall is probably better, because you're right. He has yeah. had some you know sustained success in exactly. baseball, even though he is now in AAA and can't hit worth a he's flip. He's hitting 290 in AAA, but I don't think he, that will translate to... Uh, I think anyone else has ever had an Adam Duvall versus Rashid Hageman argument? I don't know if they if they haven't. They're really missing out because they're two very exciting players. Yeah, I mean, it's, you just got to think outside the box every now and then, you know? Of course. Well, in terms of other depth pieces, Adam, we also signed Tyler Davison, the former defensive tackle from the Saints, uh, to a one-year deal. Uh, over the course of his career, which has spanned four years, he's got 95 tackles, three and a half sacks, and nine tackles for loss. So... I don't know. It'll be interesting to see uh, how he fits in. I think he's a more tangible fit than Hageman in the sense that, you know, he's been relevant in the league for the last couple of years, even if he's not a stud or anything. But, you know, these moves, these moves, can, you know, keep getting defensive tackles makes me think that Thomas is thinking cornerback, offensive lineman, um, or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it's just because so Quinn, maybe it's just because Quinn loves to rotate so many guys in for his uh, defensive line packages. But we'll we'll see. Yeah, we're still linked to a D end out of Florida State. Uh, we can't go D end again, man. No, I think 
you know, we drafted so many DNs. And you know what? If you hadn't signed Vic Beasley, I would say, sure. But you've put all that money into him, which was ill-advised. We shouldn't have done it. But now that you've done it, you sort of got to play the hand you dealt yourself. You dealt yourself a pair of twos, but you're still playing with it for some damn reason. And now it's like if we drafted a defensive end in the first round, it's like, well, okay, I guess him or Tack is, is out as a starter, and what's the point of bringing him back at this point? You know, I saw a uh, video on the local news yesterday that would have made you puke. Mm. It was like a montage of all the success um, Coach Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov have had drafting together. Oh. And, uh, you know, they're just talking about how they completely trust each other and uh, they've never not agreed on a pick. That's great. <laughs> and then it does, like, all these flashbacks to Vic Beasley up on the stage and um, Tack mm. screaming at people and all that. So, yeah, they, they've nailed them all, Graham. Yeah, they really they really, uh, really knocked that Duke Riley pick out of the fucking park. And that's another thing that people have talked about is, like, you know, because of the depth in defensive tackle this year – uh, is that maybe linebackers are starting to get overlooked, and there's two decent linebackers or people who think can be really elite linebackers, and Devin White and Devin Bush uh, coming out of the of the draft tonight. So you kind of profile a little bit into what Dan Quinn likes to do. So it's it's you wonder that could be a sleeper pick too, is if one of those guys drops because of the defensive tackle depth. If we pick one of them up, I hope there's some way we can trade up to uh, the three pick and get Quinn and Williams. Ooh. That'd be a ballsy. Yeah, you'd be trading a uh, lot of first round picks mm-hmm. to get him, but like he's like one of the few guys in this draft that there's a big difference between him and the next tier of um, D tackles. And you have a guy that you like, Christian Wilkins, who's went through the same I do, school you did. Yeah, I do like Cr- Christian Wilkins a lot out of uh, Clemson, six four, three fifteen, stayed through his senior year. Played in three national championship games, was a leader on the field, um, and just a beast. Um, so he'd be more of that that bulk piece to go alongside uh, Grady. Mm. And we've had success with Clemson D tackles, not Clemson D ends. So I, right with Grady, I, like I would be very satisfied if we just stay at fourteen and Christian Wilkins drops to us. Yeah, I've also heard rumors about Ed Oliver, who looks like a really good prospect. Um, I don't know. The defensive tackle depth in this class is ridiculous. But I, I really hope that, you know, whoever we draft in these first couple rounds, they're not depth pieces. They're coming in here ready to start. Because we got holes. Oh, they got to be ready. Yeah. yeah. We have holes. And we have holes in both both sides of the trenches. And that's where the, the focus needs to go. And, and I would also want to see, you know, could we potentially draft a, uh, you know, a tackle in the first round? Is there a tackle that's worthy of that? of that number 14 pick. Uh, I'm not sure, but um, if history has anything to say about it, Thomas will not take an offensive line lineman early in the draft. Although Dan Quinn has said that he has been more impressed this year with the with the crop of draftees, potential draftees in the, in the draft from the offensive line than he has in, in many years. So uh, it's unpredictable. And seemingly every year when people predict what Thomas is going to do, he always seems to throw us a curveball. Well, yeah, mock drafts in general are – Ridiculous. Yeah, I haven't looked at one. The amount of time that goes into those things, too. It's incredible. It's like months worth of people doing mock drafts and updating mock drafts. You can't, like, you can't predict it. There's going to be trades that are unexpected. Mm -hmm. Um, The Raiders are going to do something ridiculous. 
they're going to draft someone that was rated in the fourth round in the first round. Uh, that type of shit just happens every year. So, I think if there's one thing to look at, it's where do we struggle last year? Is going to sort of dictate where we draft this year. Think about what happened last season. You know, we had the uh, eighth best offense in the history of the National Football League uh, in the 2015 2016 season, or excuse me, the 2016 2017 season. And then you go in the 2017 2018 season and you drop from averaging over 30 points a game to 22. So, what do you do? You draft a, a wide receiver with your first pick to bolster the offense. <laughs> um, now, this year, yeah. we struggled. Across the board. Last year was a fluke, though. They weren't expecting Calvin Ridley to be there. No, but at the same time, that's the reason they drafted him. That's one right. of the reasons, is because they liked him, and they said, oh, our offense certainly struggled last year. Maybe he'll get us going. And he did sure. do a very good job. Ten touchdowns as a rookie is incredible. He had a wall at points during the season, but I think we saw enough to think, okay, Ridley's a, hopefully a key fixture in this offense for, for some time to come. So now you got to think about last year in terms of where we struggled. It was kind of across the board with the exception of, you know, our skill position players and our quarterback. So it's Well, it's, running back was struggled. And running back struggled, but, I mean, Tevin was, was decent. But you also have Devontae Freeman coming back, who you hope to Christ is going to be healthy this year. But I wouldn't be surprised if we also drafted a running back. But in terms of where we're going with our first pick, I think last year is a good indicator. Where do we struggle the most? How are we going to fill that hole? And I, it's got to be in the trenches, man. It has to because we sucked on both sides last season. So, you're saying D-tackle or offensive lineman? Yeah, I think so. Which is... That, it's it, not, that's not groundbreaking stuff. No, it's right. not. But I'm just saying, it's like, I think the people who are... Although cornerbacks also... Nah. Cornerbacks also is a, a play, an area where we struggled mightily last season. I just want a boring pick. Although Christian Wilkins wouldn't be that boring. but You want, you want something that you can feel good about. And isn't like, oh man, that was a flashy pick. I wonder if the hype around this guy is true or not. Um I don't know. We'll see what happens, and we'll save the rest of our, our draft talk for after we, we make our pick, I think, because I think we're just going to go in circles as we're not the most uh, oh. adept college football uh, fans, nor do we know anything about these guys, really. Oh, we're adept. Oh, you think so? You want to spend the rest of the show talking about uh, potential draft picks? No, nah, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's move on. Yes. Uh, let's focus on the Braves, Adam. Mm. Had an uh, interesting week last week. It was one of the more interesting weeks in a while for, for this for this franchise. We come into the Arizona Diamondbacks series with a lot of high hopes and wanted you know, to take at least two of three at home against a you know middling team for the most part. And we wound up getting swept. And two of those three games were very winnable the first two games. We had leads in those games. And the bullpen, once again, blew up. Particularly Jesse Biddle, who walked in... I think two runs over the course of last week and just he has was awful. He has eight walks in the last seven days. Yeah. And he um and he sucked, you know, the first game against Cincinnati the other night too. He walked in another run. And it's just incredible. And he came out in the first night of the Arizona series last week and said, I promise I'll never let that happen again. And then the next night, of course, it happens again. And it really harkens back to uh, Keith Armstrong, the old Falcons special teams coach on Hard Knocks when he says to his, when he addresses somebody in the special teams and can't remember, and he says, you're not good enough to be an asshole. Mm. Not that Jesse Biddle would be an asshole. He was taking responsibility and saying, I'm going to never right. let that happen again, but he's not good enough to make promises like that. So is he only on the, still not in the minors yet because he's a lefty? I think it's more so because he is out of options. Ah. And so if you 
you can't send him back to the minors uh, without him passing through waivers, and he's talented enough, right, where someone will probably pick him up, even though he has struggled. I mean, people forget about how, you know, he was pretty solid last year. 311 ERA, had a decent ratios across the board, but still, you know, struggled down the stretch with walks. But he, he had a pretty solid year last year, and he has good stuff. I think he's just a head case right now. Yeah, and if, if we've learned anything from Luke Jackson this year is don't completely give up on somebody just because of although Luke Jackson people gave up on him after one day. Right. Um, he's been solid this year. He's not given up a run since the four runs he gave up against Philly. Yeah, no, he's That's been really crazy. Good. Yeah. He's our best reliever. Um, but, yeah, Biddle, you're right. He's got good stuff, but he, this not throwing strikes thing is just it's so frustrating to watch. It really is, and he can't be. Uh, you can't rely on him at this point in any high leverage situation to come out there and actually get the job done. He needs if he's going to pitch again right now, it needs to be in a blowout. Either we're getting blown out, or we're blowing someone else out, and say just just relax and get don't it together. Nibble. Get it, yeah, get it yeah. together. No pressure. So yeah, we got swept, and it wasn't good. The offense certainly played well, but the for the most part, the bullpen did not hold up there in the bargain. And then that sort of transferred over to uh, the Cleveland series to a degree. Um, but before we talk, get too in-depth of this Cleveland stuff, I was really upset that Tuki Toussaint was uh, optioned after his rough start on Saturday night. I thought that's that's total bullshit to me. Because I think, you know, he comes out there a, a week before that against the Mets, saves your ass when Newcomb, you know, is clearly not up to the task anymore. Has a fantastic outing on the bullpen, throws six, seven innings or whatever it was, and then he has a bad start in Cleveland where the where the it's cold as shit. Uh, he struggles, admittedly. But it's like, what's what kind of message are you sending? We talked about this on the last show. It's like you got to give people who you think are going to be big time pieces on this pitching staff the time to develop. You can't just do this yo yo bullshit and expect anyone to develop a modicum of a routine or success. It just doesn't work like that. I think it's I think it's a really poor decision by Anthopoulos. Yeah, I think he certainly deserved another shot, but the problem is we're running out of places to put him at this point. Let him get another chance in the rotation. But you got Fulte coming back. That's fine. Um, the guy at this point that's on the chopping block is Julio. Um, but yeah, if there's one person you should move to the bullpen, or I don't know, just get rid of because you know he's trash, it's Julio Tehran. No, he went too far there. Um I mean, I don't mean he's a trash human being. I just think he's just this pedestrian pitcher who can't give you much, and it always has a big blow-up inning. And well, in fairness, Tuki screwed your team in a doubleheader there. Yeah, the bullpen bullpen bullpen, the, had, bullpen somehow pitched seven and two thirds scoreless innings. Yeah, it's really interesting with the bullpen. It's either they're coming out and getting shelled, or or walking a shit ton of people, or they're coming out and being like, or they're, or they're, or they're lights out. And that happened again last night, where Soroka had a decent start, but you know got into some trouble, and the bullpen cleaned it up and just was spotless. And especially uh, one guy who's come back is, is, is Winkler. He's looked outstanding, and mentors really figure out his shit. Struck out the side against the Indians on uh, Saturday night during that improbable 7-3 to three comeback. Um, and then 7-0 comeback. Or 7-0 comeback, excuse me. And then looked outstanding again last night was mentor. So that's nice, but... So you would you would so you would still agree with sending Tuki down or no? I would have given him another start. Yeah, but I mean, we knew a log jam would happen, and that's what we're seeing right now. Right, especially with I mean, Freed's obviously cemented his spot. Yeah, he looked. Soroka's going to be here 
as long as he's healthy. Yes. When he's looked good as two starts. Um, but, I mean, hey, like I said, you come in, you can't even get through two innings, get shelled. Tukey didn't look like he was ready. Yeah, it was a shitty start, admittedly. But I just think if you think he is a big piece of your pitching staff that you don't treat him like that. And it's not – I'm not emphasizing the pussification of America or anything like that. It's just – it's like we talked about with, with Tom Glavin, uh, you know, when he first started, or Smoltzy or anybody. Yeah. It's like these guys are going to hit peaks and valleys, but you see enough in Tukey, and he's proven it enough to me to warrant more opportunities than just, oh, I had a bad start. I mean, you look at so many people have had bad starts this year, and it's unfair to compare them to Aaron Nola or Chris Sale. But Jesus, I mean, you talk about these are two of some of the best pitchers in baseball are having horrible starts of the year. I guess the problem is we're we're doing a dance right now between – trying to compete right now, and getting these young guys into the game with us. So were we, if we're expecting to be a third-place team right now, yeah, Tukey would be in there full-time. Mm. But the problem is we're not. Right. You, you can't really afford to give up games. But I still think Tukey gives you a great chance to win when he's on. He is electric. Sure. But, you know, the decision was made, and that's that for now. I'm sure, you know, obviously be back at some point. Let's talk about... Max Fried, outstanding, outstanding performance on Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, did we talk about the Sunday Night Baseball broadcast last week? I don't think we did, because it is truly atrocious. I've never been affected by a broadcast like the Sunday Night Baseball thing. Really? I think they're a lot better than the Braves broadcast. What? I can't stand Chef. Did, uh, did you Frenchie's watch? fine. Did you watch both of those games? On ESPN? Uh, yeah. The one the one thing I don't like is um, I don't like A-Rod that much. I think the girl does a fine job in Mendoza. I mean, she actually has relevant stats. Like, she was, she brought up some good stats about um, Ozzy and about uh, Bieber and Freed. And I was like, okay, you know what you're talking about. But Alex Rodriguez is, a, is just... Well, the three of them awful. just don't mesh No, there's at all. No, there's no good chemistry it's there. It's really there's, awkward. There's no good back and forth. And Vascursion is actually a really good play-by-play guy. But he doesn't have really... Like they, you're right. They don't work well together, and A Rod is not. I think A Rod's better in the studio than he is as a as a. Well, and they're const- they constantly have the camera on the announcers, which I can't of the stand. Game, I can't stand that. And they're just talking about like A Rod's playing career instead of the actual game. Yeah, I don't like that. But it's like I think Mendoza has good things to say when she's talking about the game. I don't think A Rod is worth anything in the booth, and I think Vasquez good, but. I can't stand this new thing where it's like we have to look at the commentators all the time. Like, there are buddies, there are friends, like, they're the reason that we're watching the game. And that's not so. It's not so at all. And I don't know where this started, but, you know, an, an announcer's job to me should be to be like an offensive lineman. You shouldn't notice them. They should be a seamless part of the viewing experience. And no one is these days. Well, then ESPN also has the crap with they've got their microphones everywhere. So, like, a grounder to shortstop. Sounds like it's coming off the bat at 115 miles an hour. I was about to ask. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, it's like Jesus, Jesus, these guys are just ripping it. Today. Yeah, and I, and I was thinking about it too. I was like, why is the crack of the bat so much louder? I was like, is that what it really sounds like? I think they're also amplifying it. Yeah, I think it's some some studio stuff they're doing uh, to really make it sound bigger than it actually is. And there's probably more microphones. You're right, but how crotchety do we sound right now? Pretty crotchety, but yeah. I mean, yeah, it, them as a trio is, is is not good. But I think there is. I don't write them off like I write off, you know, Chip and Joe. And <laughs> I just can't stand them. But I have liked having Frenchie. Yeah, it's uh, been a nice uh, change of pace. Um, but anyways, yeah, Max Freed. Yes. He, I mean, 
what, what can you say about the guy? He's got the lowest ERA in the majors right now. He uh, has command of three pitches. He's going after guys. Mm-hmm. He's getting unbelievable comparisons, too. Like, people are comparing him to Blake Snell and Kershaw. Kershaw. I think, I think but his, his way hook, overblown. His hook overblown. is dirty, though, man. Like, yeah, his, his hook, it's out of this world. Yeah, he's a really, he's a very fine talent. I think the comparisons are way too premature, but I have really liked what I've seen. And he was getting squeezed a lot by that umpire yeah. um, in Cleveland, not giving him the... Uh, the chest fastball, chest high fastball. And um, he settled down, got through it, and threw a hell of a game against an offense that Millie has struggled this season. But, you know, he, he went through some very good hitters and, and made them look silly at times. And as you're saying, his ERA is outstanding. His whip is great. Um, and he has proven that he is very resilient and has a very bulldog-like mentality in the sense that he's not rattled. Soroka's kind of the same way. It's like yeah. you never know – if they're down or if they're up, like if you were to watch the game without a scoreboard, you'd be like, okay, they're, they, I guess they're doing fine. Which is interesting to contrast with Fulty, who we know has not an attitude problem, I guess, but lets his emotions get the better of him. But I am very impressed by the maturity of Max Fried and by the maturity of Soroka. That's a, that's a great point because they're both of their last two games. Um, so Fried in that first inning, he got into a little trouble because of the umpire. Didn't let him get rattled, didn't let that rattle him. Got out of the inning, pitched great from there on. Soroka did the same thing last night, where I think he had um, he had runners on first and second, and then they scored their first run, and there's still zero outs. Yeah, it was in the first inning too. Yeah, and then he just buckled down, got a couple strikeouts, and got out of it, yeah. and then moved on with his life. Unlike unlike a Sean Newcomb mm-hmm. that we know we would see implode, or Fulty sometimes, or Fulty, um, Julio Tehran, definitely a Julio. Pretty much everyone except Galsman. Another guy who's gotten really hot is Josh Donaldson. Had an excellent game on Sunday Night Baseball. Two bombs. Uh, and he still has a great approach to the plate. And I'm uh, happy to see him start to turn a corner, even though I know this week in the Cincinnati series been a little slow. But it's okay. I, I, I think overall he's done a really nice job, and he's battling through you know whatever struggles he was having, and he's been a good contributor. Um, thoughts on Donaldson? Yeah, still loving the guy. Deepens our lineup so much. I mean, he did get the big knock last night against the Reds to yeah, that was big. Put us up three um, one. But yeah, that I mean that Sunday night game in Cleveland, he pretty much won that game for us offensively. Yeah, he was definitely the MVP. Of but he had five RBIs there. Yeah, it was uh, outstanding. Yeah, and you can see he just gels with his team as well. Mm-hmm. Like after he hit that uh, three run bomb, he's. Looking over at the dugout, just having fun. He's got his tongue out at him and shit. Um, yeah, enjoying having him on the team. Yeah. But I think, you know, overall with the Braves, my thoughts are kind of unchanged. I'm not getting too hot or too cold on anything at this point because, one, we're really early in the season. But, two, it's sort of like it's playing out how I kind of thought it would in the sense that we're having ups and, ups and downs of the pitching staff and the offense is really good. Um, and we will go as far as our pitching staff overall bullpen and rotation takes us but it's been the pitching that's been middling sometimes it's been good sometimes it's been bad and it's bitten us in the ass and you know we're in third place right now 12 and 11 and i think our record accurately reflects who we are right now we're we're fine so it's going to come down to can the bullpen turn a corner and can the rotation become solidified and we'll see great thing that i saw last night that uh, they were talking about on the radio today as well on 680 The Fan. Um, 
was the fact that when Soroka was in trouble last night, Snitker came out and you assume he was going to pull him at 98 pitches just because that's what Snitker does, but he didn't pull him. Yeah. He just wanted to talk to him, get a read for him. I like that. Talk to McCann, and he let him figure it out. Yeah, and McCann, I think, said to keep him in too. Because, I mean, like, these young guys are going to have to learn to go through the road through a lineup more than twice. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate that part of analytics. It's like, no, no, no. Once they're going through the lineup twice, you got to get rid of them. Well, the thing is, is you have a lights out bullpen. But if, yeah, but we don't. But Major League Baseball, that's it's not showing that there those middle middle relievers are lights out anywhere right now. So, yeah, bullpens are getting killed, especially so the, in this division. The starters are going to have to learn to throw 120 yeah, pitches again. And I'm usually pro analytics, but and. Sometimes that is true, but I think if you're going to be a really great pitcher, you got to be able to go through a lineup at least three times. Yeah. Because that's going to bite your bullpen in the ass if you can't do that. If you're only going four or five innings every time you're going out, that's not enough. And, you know, <laughs> it is pretty incredible. We have the highest walk rate in baseball right now from the bullpen. Uh, 14.8% of our batters that we're facing are walks. So, uh, which is pretty scary. Um, from the bullpen? Yeah, from the bullpen. For context, we were at a, a little over 11% last year. But now we're at 14.8. Obviously, early in the season. But yeah. something's got to give here. And I really like that Winkler's back, I think, like I said earlier. looks like He, he is out there to kill. Yeah, they they, they said that he uh, he was really pissed off about getting demoted. Yeah, and it shows. And he's pitching like he it. looks like he's like there's a there's he's he's the human embodiment of a hornet's nest right now. Mm. No taking no prisoners, and 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 Minter, goddamn, I mean he, he's really calmed down. I think that's one thing to keep in mind with Minter. He kind of reminds me of Kimbrel in the 2011 season, where you know early on that season, uh, Kimbrel really struggled, and he would either you know get the bases loaded or he'd strike out the side. Kind of thing, and he went on to win Rookie of the Year. And I'm not saying Mentor's going to do that, and obviously Mentor can't do that because I don't think he's rookie eligible. But he's still very early on in his career, and I think he has enough talent to be your closer. Sure. So uh, I'm still hoping that we do something soon before the deadline to get some more help in the bullpen because I think we need it. I, I still don't think we've adequately ad- adequately uh, covered the loss of Venner's, the loss of Vizcaino, uh effectively enough. Venner's is supposed to be back soon. Him and his twenty ERA. Right, but I'm 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 not, and I mean lost when I say Venner's being lost. I mean like he probably shouldn't pitch anymore. Yeah, I mean you just gotta figure it out right now because no teams are gonna start selling off except maybe like the Marlins. Right, and who you're gonna get from them? Yeah, so that's a good point. I just think like in June. Hopefully sure. we can start closer to the deadline. Closer to the deadline, but not at the deadline. I don't want to be like, oh, we're still we're like thirty-one and thirty or whatever, one game over five hundred, and it's like, oh, I guess now we got to improve that bullpen. It's like we need to do this sooner rather than later. So I hear you play. Yeah, I think that uh, covers the Braves one to one right now in terms of the series in Cincinnati. It'd be really nice to win this series before coming back home to face the Colorado Rockies this weekend, which should be a good series that should line up nicely for our team. Considering where Colorado is and where we are. Uh, they've been playing a lot better, man. They have been playing. Left. Yes, that is very true. That is very true. Don't write them off. Uh, I'm not writing them off. I just think that we, we match up. I like, I like our matchup against them. And I think, um, I guess the last thing to touch on is Dansby average has definitely gone down a little bit, but he's still, Still hitting the hell out of the ball, man. Yeah, he's still smoking the ball, and I think that um, he's still not chasing that much, even though we just watched him chase a pitch in the dirt. 
overall, the approach is still really nice. So I think, you know, he's probably not going to be hitting 330 this season, but he is going to be a hell of a lot better than he, than he was last year. He's like top 10 in war right now. Yeah, which is, especially as, you know, and the defense is still so stellar. And now that he's actually contributing at a, I'd say above average rate as, as an uh, offensive player, uh, that, that, that is, that, that would be awesome if that's how it could be consistently. If he's him. still hitting like this around uh, all-star break, do you think they consider locking him in long-term? Um, I think there's definitely a bigger chance for that to happen. I still would want to wait see on it for that. a full season. Yeah. I would want to see it for a full season. And I think he got plenty of time with Dansby, so I wouldn't want to do that quite yet. That's fair. Yeah. Oh, last thing we should talk about is uh, that Tim Welsh guy. The Cincinnati commentator. Oh. Last night. Uh, he was supposedly talking about... He wasn't supposedly. He was. He was talking about Ozzy Albies and saying, oh, I've done research on both sides of this whole contract situation. He's, you know... He, he came from a poor family in Curacao, and he probably doesn't know the difference between $35 million and $85 million. And it was... Came off as very uh, insensitive, sure. to say the least, to, to, to insult Ozzy's intelligence like that. Even though I don't think it came off... He didn't mean for it to come off like that. And I think if you look at the rest of what he said, he was saying, oh, he's a talented player and all this stuff. I just think he he just misspoke, made a mistake. And I don't think he's some racist son of a bitch yeah, or anything like that. people want to kill him. Right. Uh, you hear he went and apologized to Ozzy? Yeah, and that's yeah. great that he manned up, apologized. And I think the other thing, too, that you got to think about with Ozzy, Ozzy's fluent in four different languages. Ozzy's a smart guy. He's not some you know, Neanderthal out there playing baseball. He's a very bright young kid. And so I think... From Welsh's standpoint, I think it's, uh, you know, I think he should be fine, maybe suspended. I don't know, because I thought it was really, uh, just was very tone deaf and insulting. But the fact that he went in there, apologized, had a man-to-man with Ozzy, admitted he was wrong, said a lot about his character. So I think, hopefully this is one of those things that gets brushed under the rug, and it's settled. And it's nice that um, he actually went out there and, and, and did what he did, and took ownership over that. At the end of the day, though, it's the uh, the Reds broadcaster, so who gives a shit? Yeah, it's not a big deal. He yeah. has to call Reds games for the rest right. of his life. <laughs> that, that's a, that's enough penalty there. Yeah, I mean, look how many people are at this damn game. It's, oh, this it's, has been bad. I mean, this is like this is like uh, Fulton County in nineteen eighty seven or something. Their paid attendance last night was like twelve thousand. Well, it's interesting. They're starting these games at six forty every night Eastern, so it's five forty Central where they are, and it's like, oh, that's true. I didn't even think about yeah, that. Yeah, and they keep saying on the radio, oh, they think that you know people will be more inclined to stay in town than to go home if the game starts earlier. And it's like, well, I don't know if this is really proven true so far with that, uh, that what, hypothesis. What about people that don't work downtown? Yeah, uh, that's a good point as well. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe consider those folks, yeah. and also you also have to think about you know the team's not very good, so especially on paper. Even though they did trade for Puig and Kemp and whatnot, they're still a very they, sh- they should be finished in probably in the cellar and then on Central, so that you have to consider that. But I like the six forty starts because I can watch the game and it can be over. Even if I'm behind, I can be over by ten ten thirty. Sure. Yeah. Which is great. Part yeah. of our, uh, I think we should probably lives. wrap up this uh, part one of the podcast. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, we'll be back in a different mindset probably and yeah. um, give our analysis of who the Falcons take tonight. It's very exciting. We'll see you in like a couple Three, hours. Three hours. And, and this time. <laughs> Two hours. For, for those of you who are listening, you'll hear us talk about it in about five seconds. <laughs> <laughs>
got to be a quarterback. Oh, look at the Falcons fans. <laughs> no, Falcon cast is there. They're hardcore. Who? A-T-L. Do we trade? No. Who? Oh! Oh! Guard! Guard! Yes! <laughs> wow. I did not see that coming. I didn't see that coming either. We got an offensive lineman. What a fucking miracle. Who's this loser? We just signed two guards in the offseason. As depth pieces. You better not be a depth piece. He needs to be starting. No, this guy's starting, you loser. No, the depth. They were signed to three in like four year deals. Not a lot you of money. You want them to be depth pieces? This guy's our starter. I hope so. I can't believe Thomas drafted him a guard. And with the 14th pick in the 2019 draft, the Falcons select Chris Lindstrom, guard, Boston College. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I can't believe Thomas must have been listening to the podcast for like the last few weeks and hearing all the shit I talked about him never ever drafting an offensive lineman in the early rounds, and he fucking did it. Well, you've been saying uh, the trenches need to be solidified, I believe, Graham. And this is, it seems like a nice pick. It's a boring pick. That's a boring pick. That's exactly what you said earlier in the show. Boring pick. Like, no one's going to be talking about this tomorrow. Um, Well, they will be. Well, Atlanta-related people, but no one outside of Atlanta will say anything about it. No one's... Jacked outside of the city, yeah. but it's it's what we needed. He's the second uh, offensive lineman taken in the draft. Um, random ESPN analyst who name whose name I don't know said he's the best guard in the draft. So that's encouraging. We saw how bad Matt Ryan was getting shellacked last year, especially in the middle of the offensive line with that rotating door that was a guard position. So you get Mr. Lindstrom in here and hopefully solidify that position. And you also sign two guards in the offseason and Carpenter and and uh, Browning. And so you got to hope that now, I mean, i got to expect that this guy's going to come in here and start. But at least hopefully you feel a little better about um, depth. Depth there. And at the same time, you got to think that we're moving to a power running scheme because this is a big dude. This is a prototypical guard. You know, the quarterback, you got your 6'6", 240 guy that you want. This man's 6'3", 329. He's, he's, he's a beef eater. He's a huge man. And uh, so it makes me think that we're going to we're gonna do power running this year. If we're drafting guys like this, if we're signing guys like this in the offseason, I like it. I mean, then that's the way you win in the NFL in the fucking trenches. And we are addressing the trenches for once in the draft. So hats off to Thomas. Hopefully it works out. But I, I like the pick. Um, At the end of the day, I was hoping for a D tackle. But I guess when I think about it, I guess our greater need was on the offensive line. I think we've also done a lot this week in terms of fortifying the defensive line. It's not to say we can't draft another defensive tackle because there's plenty to draft. But this guy seemed like he was in the right position at the right time. Screw it. Pull the trigger. And hopefully we do have the best guard in the draft. And we have a guy who can be you know here for the rest of Matt Ryan's career. And a Boston College guy, so that's got to make Matt Ryan happy. Instant connection there. Yeah. And so let's talk about some of the guys we could have drafted. Um, there's another – Clemson's been getting a lot of uh, – Press tonight, Adam. There's another guy that we could have drafted who was a defensive tackle who we did who we chose not to. Can you yeah. remind us of who this man was? Yeah, Dexter Lawrence was still out there. I really thought that's the way we were going to go once Christian Wilkins got drafted right in, uh, by the Dolphins at 13. Uh, Dexter Lawrence still out there as we speak right now. Uh, 345, 
arguably the best of the three first-round Clemson linemen this year, but he's still out there. So I, I thought that that was going to be a no-brainer for us, but I'm okay with this uh, This pick. Uh, our buddy, what's his name again? Chris wait Lindstrom. For, wait for that name to come up on the bottom line. There we go. Yep. Chris Lindstrom. Chris Lindstrom. Um, Ed Oliver got taken at nine. Yep. Um, so, you know, he was off the board. That was a guy I, I really wanted. But I can't be mad at, at drafting a highly profiled guard who will hopefully be on our, uh, our line for a long time. So, good stuff. And we'll see if the Falcons do anything else. If they trade up to get in the first round again, I have no idea what they're going to do. But uh, we'll see what happens from here. We'll chime back in if they do. Yeah. Well, Atlanta sports fans, we got a last-second uh, trade in the draft as the first night concluded. Falcons traded a second and third-round pick for tackle Caleb McGarry from Washington at uh, number 31, traded with the Rams. So it doesn't look like we'll be picking Friday night unless another move is made. So for so long, we've ridiculed Thomas Dimitrov for not doing anything in the trenches, mostly focusing on the defensive line if he focuses on there at all. Um, but instead, tonight he spent two first-round picks on guard and tackle. And it's not splashy. It's not going to turn heads, but I don't think it's supposed to. I think this is trying to ensure that for the first time he's really trying to make sure that our $150 million quarterback is protected with guys that are ready to be brought in, plug and play, let's rock. Let's make sure that Matt Ryan is able to stay upright and not be pressured so many times. Um, I know a lot of a lot of people are upset about these picks, but honestly, I'm not. And this is coming from somewhat of an ignorant source here in the sense that I've never heard of either of these guys before tonight because who the hell hears about offensive linemen. But you know what? That's the point. If, if you're the common man, why should you hear about offensive linemen? I mean, these guys are the equivalent of a film editor. Film editors, their jobs are supposed to be seamless in the sense that when you're watching a movie, you shouldn't be notice, noticing the editing in a film. It's the same way for a football game, right? These guys, you shouldn't notice them succeeding. The offense should be humming in a way that they aren't noticed, and that's why these guys were drafted, and I hope that they're able to really contribute to the team this year and be ready to start, and I, I'm glad that not only did we hopefully solidify a guard position, but we solidify a tackle position. That that means that your boy, Ty Sambreo, who everyone has been so hard on, my, you know, yours truly included, is not going to be starting this year, and that Mr. McGarry is. But it is it has come at a cost in the sense of now that we're not going to be able to get uh, probably get a worthwhile defensive tackle in this draft, and I think there's going to be a lot of... Um, ridicule for Thomas on that front but he is going all in on the offensive line you need a great offensive line to win a Super Bowl so screw it and I think that makes sense now considering that we signed Tyler Davison and recent you know got back Rasheed Hageman um I think especially with Davison he's going to be expected to actually come in and, and play with Grady Jarrett this year so you know Hopefully this means that the offensive line is ready to rock and that the defensive line can hold their own. But, I mean, obviously there's going to be a little bit of a hole there in the defensive line. But I'm glad for once in his life Thomas Dimitrov is addressing the offensive line. And Adam decided to leave right before the uh, the draft pick was made, which is really funny. So 
he's not going to have any opinion on this. This is me just recording solo, but so be it. And uh, we'll talk more about this next week. And uh, thanks for listening. Farewell. Remember that guy's We had to take it in. We didn't know who that loser oh. was. Oh, all right. Okay. Oh, God. Ah, Chris Lundstrom. Who?